Second. Honey, honey, there's a hot topic. Oh, God damn it. Pull, pull the fucking car over. I gotta buy some fucking drip pants. Hot chop chop. Delicious. Hope you guys ate a big dinner. Because we're coming at you live with some dessert. This is the March and Mitch Show. We're the cream of the crop. We are not the basking robins of the dessert world. We're qu- clearly the apex predator, which would be... Colston? Mm-hmm. Colston? Oh, I like Baskin Robbins. Oh, okay. Baskin. Whenever beaches. I got A's on my report card, my mom took me to Baskin Robbins. Yay! <laughs> Must be nice to have parents. <laughs> Zing! <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, welcome to the show, everybody. Starring yeah. Celine. Season two. Season two. We got renewed for a second season. Yeah. <laughs> and your dick went straight to DVD. <laughs> Get dissed. Go ahead, Mark. Hot cha 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 cha, delicious. Tell us what we're doing today. We're going to be talking to you about your well, well not really yours. They're they're my my favorite ten albums <laughs> of the year. That's my top ten list of albums. We're going to talk about some other honorable mentions and my favorite albums and singles throughout the year. Uh, pretty much the entire roster for my top ten year end power rankings are basically. Sh- Artists we've done on the show before. I'm very excited to be here. Celine Stanis Pond is going to talk to you about some uh, local neighborhood drama in Portland, I believe. Yeah, I'm going to talk to everybody about some uh, eviction activism that's going on and how an entire neighborhood was shut down in Portland in order to save one house. You can put a moratorium on rent, but you can't put a moratorium on us, motherfucker. <laughs> and let's give it up for none other than Mitchell Herring. You're on Santa's shit list this year. <laughs> Santa's or Santa? Because if I'm on Santa's shit list, I'm in trouble. <laughs> at, it, least, at least you're on the shit list. I'm on Santa's hit list. Oh. <laughs> I, I fucked Mrs. Claus. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's what happened. Christmas so is you've canceled. got like the robotic Santa Claus from Futurama <laughs> coming after you. <laughs> <laughs> We're so naughty. fucked. That's what happens when you post on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to do a misconnections episode where we just make fun of misconnections. Oh God. Yeah. It'd be fucking We can hilarious. do that. I'm down for that. That's funny. Miscon- that would be funny as shit. Ever since they took the for you page away or whatever it was called. Yeah, they don't do the personal ads anymore. Prost- oh really? Prostitution. Yeah, because I remember back in Vegas, whenever you would go on those, they'd be like, oh, bring a hundred roses. And roses was like slang for money, pretty right, much. Yeah. Or bring a hundred diamonds. What if you showed up with actually a hundred roses and be like, what? That's what the ad said. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean I owe you money? You loser. I'm talking about hundred dollars. Or bring 100 chaos emeralds. That'll make, yeah. Sonic, that'll make Sonic the Hedgehog a cuckold for you. So yeah. <laughs> make sure you do that this year. All nonsense aside, let's get right to our top 10 <laughs> albums of the year. Albums of the year. Coming in at number 10. Number 10. Number 10. Uh, This has been a really, really critically acclaimed album that came out recently that takes a departure from this artist's uh, previous career of hip hop, rap, trap. With little bits of punk flavor thrown in from time to time, starting out as just an, uh, a small town artist who literally used to sit on the corner holding sh- signs that would say, please come to my show. Nice. We're talking about Machine Gun Kelly and his pop punk album, Tickets to My Downfall. The album features everyone from Ian Dior to Burt McCracken from The Used, one of my favorite mall emo bands of the 2000s. It's also got his fellow cohort, Youngblood, mm-hmm. and an amazing, outstanding single uh, he recorded 
with none other than Halsey. This album, I never really liked MGK growing up. The the first time I think I ever listened to an MGK song where I actually liked it was with uh, our our co-star here, Celine, and their friend Ree, and we were listening to the the single we talk about all the damn time, which mm-hmm. is which is I think I'm okay. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite karaoke songs. That was kind of what set me apart. I mean, obviously, I wasn't too impressed to see MGK and a uh, you know young blood miming guitars on stage while Travis Barker just shreds. Can we talk about how Travis Barker is the most successful member of Blink One Eighty Two? Yeah. Right. Seriously. Also now the most successful member of pretty much all of the new music. Yeah. Pretty much any any new thing that comes out. Travis Parker did a single with Youngblood and Halsey called Eleven Minutes Away and it's been Mm -hmm. stuck in my head. I like that one. All fucking day. Remember Are there even any other drummers these days? I assume it's all Trav Barker. It's all Travy B, baby. He has cornered the market. Isn't there another Trav Barker, but he's a rapper though? Wouldn't it be surprised? Hmm. Okay, I don't know. I'm uh-huh. just saying. Anyways, also, uh, uh, not to not to combat your What's up, baby? previous statement, What's up, I, baby? I'm pretty sure Machine Gun knows how to play guitar. I think it's Youngblood who doesn't. Oh, yeah. yes. Youngblood yes. definitely he, does Yeah, it. he doesn't know how to play guitar. He, he doesn't know how to play guitar so much that he smashed it in the video so he didn't have to hold it anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> he just felt uh, gooberish, and MGK is like, that's fine. Whatever. It's cool. Punk rock. Meow. And then he turned into a Ronald McDonald spider monkey and flew off into the night, never to be seen again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like a Family Guy skit. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking literally. With singles like Bloody Valentine, Forget Me To, My Ex's Best Friend featuring Black Bear. This album def- definitely kind of caught me off guard. I actually like the pop punk vibe. MGK had a lot of help on this album. There was a lot of producers working with him, uh, a lot of cohorts, Exudio. Uh, studio executives helping him out. Mm-hmm. I know they actually got the original Escape the Fake guitar player to do a lot of guitar really? tracks. Yeah, they, yeah, the original Escape the Fake guitarist cool. did tons of guitar tracks. He got Burt McCracken from the used and then pretty much, you know, a whole, whole big, 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 big thing of just other artists helping him out uh, as a tribute to, you know, pop punk culture. Machine Gun Kelly actually has a small segment in the middle of the album called Kevin and Barracuda. Which just really reminds me of like Blink-182, Tom DeLonge's like Aliens Exist, where they're just talking about like, what's your alien's name? Kevin. (laughs) What's your alien's name? Barracuda. (laughs) And it's just kind of some really, 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 it's nice to see this guy who always looks like some kind of deranged, tough guy figure in the media. I actually put on a pretty good album that seems kind of genuine for the most part. He said in an interview that he wants people to associate this album with the end of summer and going back to school. Uh, you know, for, for a fall album, I kind of get that vibe. I kind of mm-hmm. see like this is something we'd probably party to back in high school. And like, oh, no, we start senior year next week. Oh, my God, I'm going to fucking know. Uh, my favorite track on the album is definitely probably going to be My Bloody Valentine, which features uh, Megan Fox looking hella sexy, mm-hmm. just fucking dancing around, wearing T-shirts. and She's just... not ugly in that. <laughs> Most definitely. She actually traps Machine Gun Kelly in a bathtub and then throws a toaster at him. It was adorable. <laughs> I'm like... Why can't I be so like cute. that? <laughs> True love. Coming in at number 10, that's Tickets to My Downfall with Machine Gun Kelly. Next up was a uh, big sleeper album for me. I really regret sleeping on this artist. I did not know who he was till he did the single Blood with Nothing Nowhere. And coming in at number nine, it's Kenny Hoopla with How Will I Rest in Peace If I'm Buried by a Highway. I really need to listen to the new Kenny Hoopla. Dude. Like I, I have loved everything I've heard of Kenny Hoopla so far. He is really reminiscent of just like, he's got some Midwest emo vibes. Uh, he's getting, getting countless comparisons to Black Party and Blood Orange. 
uh, when I first saw, you know, the single and stuff, I'm like, okay, this Kenny Hoopla guy is probably another trap rapper. But then once you listen to the EP, like it's so he's a full blown indie rock guy. All these tracks are straight up indie rock tracks like Plastic Door Slap. I really like the song Thinking Out Loud, the intro to the album. And then, of course, he's got the radio fucking disco indie banger. The fucking, you know, just which is the titular song, How Will I Rest in Peace if I'm Buried by a Highway, where he sings, she's going to cut my head off, but I don't care. I don't care. You say you clean up nice like a dead man. I'll see you at my funeral this <laughs> one of these days. Just, you know, uh, if I do, if, if that does happen, I want you guys to actually pick up my body out of the coffin and then reenact all the greatest events of my life using me uh, as a puppet. Okay. This is important. Weekend oh, like at, a fun we- weekend at Bernie's yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask because like that meme with all like the uh, guys who are like, um, like South America with like the coffin on the shoulder. I thought you. <laughs> Anyways. That sounds fucking heavy metal as fuck. But the first thing that makes me think of is that old Cowboy Bebop episode yeah. where like uh, fucking I'm the dog and like Ed are just running around some desert town and there's like that bounty hunter. Just, he just walks around with the coffin and like, why is that guy walk around with a coffin? And they're just like, because I'm putting your corpse in it. And he was just a bounty hunter. There and the go. two bounty hunters square off in space. Yeah. If you like Cowboy Bebop, the uh, Great Pretenders of Netflix original anime slaps hard. It's got upbeat jazzy mm-hmm. music throughout the entire thing. Three, two, one. Let's jam. Yeah. Anyways. Let's keep this music rolling. We don't want to keep you uh, here all night. Uh, let's bring us the next on the list. Next on the list was an also kind of a sleeper artist. They're called Danger Incorporated from Atlanta. Hackers of the World Unite. They put out a single that fucking slaps called Fucking for a Reason. And I'm just like, damn, this is a fucking well-written song. You got one dude who does kind of the croony, more relaxed, like jazzy ambient vocals. And then you got another dude who just kind of hits you really hard. He's got a great like rap vocal. Like he's got these good pitched singings and his raps and his his timber and his like delivery just fucking slap. And I like these artists because uh, in the rap scene, like everyone's trying to flex so hard and like shit on everyone. But these guys are just really, really entertaining and like they're friendly and they seem like really genuine and they don't take themselves too seriously. Check out Hackers of the World Unite. That's Danger Incorporated, who is slated to go on tour with... Uh, one of our other artists we talk about on the show, Nothing Nowhere, was canceled because of COVID. Uh-huh. Fuck, low-key, fuck 2020. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is what it is at this point. Coming in at number seven, it's one of my, it's one of our favorite bands or artists to talk about on the show. None other than Nicholas Kerr himself. That's Garden. You know him as Garden, who came out with Creature 2. Creature 2's album, uh, the whole... Body of work is rather short, but your song hits differently. You have a really mm-hmm. you have a really somber acoustic ballad as your intro with backup. You go into a live, which actually now has a feature re-release version with the lead singer of Paris, which I actually liked a lot. It's kind of cool to see some of these bigger pop artists are kind of like backtracking to the sad rap world to kind of get features. Mm-hmm. Like even Trey Cyrus like wanted like uh, to get on Lund's song. Uh, and they had it re-released with Trey Cyrus and like a few other like artists like rapping on it and stuff. People are coming to acknowledge the sad rap scene as the next uh, hip hop genre. Pretty much, it's taken over both worlds. I would even say that sad trap is pretty much the new pop punk and emo at this mm-hmm. point. Very, I feel like very few few kids these days even go to shows where like they see people playing live instruments anymore. It cracks, yeah, yeah, it cracks me up. Oh gosh, gosh. Sad pat, sad punk rock band, sad punk rock band. Essentially, yeah. Can we be sad? House Wolf. House Wolf coming. House- <laughs> New album slated for spring of 2021. Uh, Selena, how has Garden influenced you, and how has experiencing their music uh, changed your life? Oh, Garden's been like 
my mainstay through 2020. Like I, I feel like I got into this when you introduced me a little peep and I was like, yeah. oh, this, this guy isn't a joke. This is actually music. And then you introduced me to Garden. And I have, at this point, honestly, I have several songs memorized to the point where it's like, I'll put on a song that I love because I'm excited to sing along to it. And then I'll drive for a few more minutes and realize that I've just been singing on autopilot without <laughs> thinking. And then I've got, got to like pull over, like rewind the song, go back to the part that I like and like actually pay attention this time. Like a Disney princess song. Yeah, exactly. You just like, you tune it out and then you're like, oh wait, I missed that part. But yeah, no, Garden, like, I listened to Creature Part 1 when I was on the plane going to visit my folks in Arizona um, to, you know, see my grandma for one of her milestone birthdays and not spread COVID, masks, all that good stuff. But, yeah, I listened to that album a few times on the airplane, and I was disappointed that it wasn't longer because and I feel like that's always a good praise of something is if you are disappointed it wasn't longer. It's like, I want more of this thing. Like, it was really good. And my personal favorite song, I think, by Garden of all time so far is the just the creature song. Yeah. And particularly the part where he's like, did this dude really name his album after his cat? Does he smoke a lot and has his mom feel about that? And then uh, later he's like, like trying to like persuade these big heads. And he's like, like, fuck you, big head. Why won't you DM me back? God, please don't hit me with another group chat. <laughs> I fucking felt all of that. But he also talks in that song like it's about like trying to get his music out there and how he's really trying. And also about how like in 2017, he was like the most suicidal of his life and thought that he was going to kick the bucket under his feet and slide into the pit. And it just the song just like really encapsulate encapsulates, I think, a lot of his positivity and his negativity. And I love music like that. Like one of my favorite genres is something I read on the back of a book once that said that the novel was begrudgingly life affirming. And Garden, I think, is begrudgingly life affirming. He says a lot of positive stuff while acknowledging the fact that life is kind of but and I I respect that like that's an honesty as well as an optimism that I can respect so Garden has been super influential for me I really like hearing that seeing the end of the yang with his music whether it's you know topics about mental health talking about personal positivity uh, loss breakups and then also just getting extremely motherfucking stoned <laughs> also something I can understand <laughs> Garden's music is a good amalgamation of a bit of stoner rock emo trap rap and hip-hop with some cloud rap thrown in check out all of his music honestly uh creature 2 is a great place to start and then i would honestly just listen backwards from creature 2 to creature 1 to his debut album lacuna and all of his fucking singles if you go online right now to spotify.com you can check out all of garden singles uh, my last piece on that is i just want to say the guy is tremendously uh friendly and grateful and just he knows how to just be humble he took pictures with everyone after his show and the security guards actually closed our little micro show after the show in the parking lot as he sat down crisscross applesauce on the ground in Portland to play ukulele for his fans. That's fucking sweet. Yeah. And he messaged our, our friend Rien when she messaged him. He messaged her back and, and thanked her for the tiny hands that Rien hilariously at that show forced upon him. She was like, here, you need to have these tiny hands. And he was like, these are amazing. These are amazing. <laughs> yeah. And she messaged him after that. And he like got back in touch with her and messaged her back and like thanked her for it. And. Like, seems like a honestly down-to-earth dude. Fuck yeah. Coming in at number seven. That's Garden with Creature 2. Coming up at number six, we have probably, like, one of the biggest, like, up-and-coming pop-punk bands in the scene. They are Movements from California, Santa Clarity, I believe. And uh, they're actually just a really, really good pop-punk band. They have elements of punk rock, hardcore punk, spoken word even, on some of their, uh, their older stuff. Their newest album, No Good Left to Give, is going to be ranked right here in the middle for the show. Um... 
they have a wide range of just influences from like alternative rock to post rock. They do some really cool, like badass pop punk vocals. But then at the same time, uh, lead singer Patrick Miranda just knows how to be a great storyteller. He knows how to touch the hearts of his listeners. If you go online, all the singles for this album, No Good Left to Give, have really good lyric videos that I highly recommend watching. Most of them are really cool with great visuals and they give you a real inside look into Patrick Miranda's world. Check out No Good Left to Give for movements. Coming in at number five. Arguably my one of my favorite artists in the last four years. You you know him previously as the front man for Tiger's Dog. Coming at number five, we have the EP Painkiller from Wicca Face Springs Eternal. Uh, this EP fucking slaps and fires on all cylinders for me. I really do love his music. Elements of Witch House, Trap Rap, known collaborator of Lil Peep, the founder of Goth Boy Click, the founder of Misery Club, and the founder of Dark Medicine, which arguably has the coolest label ever. It's literally just dark and then the X on the end for like medicine. Get it? Yeah, no, that's cool. That's a badass fucking label. Uh, Adam McElwee's from Scranton, Pennsylvania, and his music definitely has been just kind of something I relate to on all levels. A lot of people did not actually like a lot of his earlier music. Apparently, he used to play shows just as as Adam McElwee before he was Wicca Phase, and like people would always just advertise his Tiger's Jaw acoustic show and be like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not Tiger's Jaw anymore. <laughs> but he would play around Scranton, and like people would always be like, oh, is that the guy from Tiger's Jaw? Good for him for persisting through that. Seriously, he got a lot of bad, uh, bad, you know, criticism at first and stuff. People would always talk about how he's a bad singer or how he's just kind of like droning on and on and on or monotone. Uh, it took until about 2018, 2019 when his second full length Suffer On came out. That I think he really found his niche. He's kind of in this acoustic trap, witch house world. He's very moody and brooding topics of love losing love topics of just, you know, having a mental crisis while trying to, like, you know, be good to the people we love, learning to put yourself before others and vice versa. Uh, this EP is really great. The final track painkiller features uh, Darcy Bayless. And it's actually like just a really, really good track. Kind of reminds me of Jawbreaker a bit. And is he's just done such a good job of kind of communicating from the punk world to the trap rap world. Please check out the EP painkiller from Wicked Face Brings Eternal. Coming in at number four, we're going to do a quick mention to uh, Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, her full-length Punisher was really cool. There's been some good songs on there that are different. I like tracks like Kyoto. I like tracks like uh, I Know This Is The End. And just it was really cool to have an artist where they're just kind of not what I'm used to listening to. It's nice having these really, really easy listening vocals that are just complemented by these textures of, you know, guitar even has like horn sections on some songs. Like, I don't know too mm -hmm. many, too many artists. They have like horn sections on their songs. Uh, she's absolutely fascinating. Human being is really, really a uh, good collaborator too. I've heard them do songs with everyone from, uh, you know, like Bon Iver, the other Phoebe whose name I, I forget, but uh, check out Punisher by Phoebe Bridgers. That's her number four coming in right at number three. It's hot Mulligan's, Newest album, You'll Be Fine. That's the hottest new band. I fucking love Hot Mulligan. They've been making waves on Reddit ever since 2016. They've done lots of cool music, mostly in the pop punk and emo realm. This album actually, to me, is like a really cool record. Like it sounds like any of these songs could be in like a 2000s coming of age film with like the American Pie cast or like <laughs> just Justin Long or like Dak Shepard. <laughs> like that, any that song from the uh, that Euro trip that's uh, that stars I I shit you not Matt Damon and it's Scotty doesn't know. <laughs> No, neither of you. I know. No. I know the name of the movie. Yes, it's been a minute. That song became more popular than the fucking movie. Oh Jeez. no, I know. Scotty doesn't know. Yeah, Scotty doesn't know. Scotty, Scotty doesn't know. Yeah, exactly. There She's you in my go. My van every Sunday. 
Yeah. That's a good song. I yeah, haven't listened Matt to that da- in ages. Matt Damon looks like the worst uh, rendition of of a punk. A punk. Uh, he, he just looks like he went down to Hot Topic and told the the store rep to be like, "Hey, just 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 dress me how you would uh, one of one of your goth girls." And uh, and that's Matt Damon <laughs> in that like, movie. Honey, honey got to pull over. There's Hot Topic. Oh damn it, honey, that's a Hot Topic. Yeah, yeah, going yeah. to the beach. I need to buy some fucking trip pants. Yeah, <laughs> that's that was Matt Damon. That was Matt Damon movie. going to the store for that, that day. Movie, yeah. It was great. Matt Damon in full dad mode. This record definitely slaps for me. It's number three for a reason on this list. I just love Hop Mulligan's music. Tracks like Equip Sunglasses make you want to shake your ass and dance, while tracks like Backyard will make you kind of wish you were younger or reminisce and be nostalgic about your past. The whole record just really, to me, probably the best pop punk record of the year. Uh, they even got a shout out from motherfucking Wendy's, bro. You know, you've made it when Wendy's social media like retweets you. Yeah, nice. <laughs> it's a good time. It's a good time. I'm liking this whole re- reemergence of pop punk as we come to the end of a decade. Coming in at number two. It's going to be the artist we did last week, Spanish Love Songs. Uh, to keep it brief, since we did a whole segment about them last week, I just want to say this album really is kind of like the dying millennial anthem. Like, really, it is just, you know, for all your 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 every man. This is kind of like, I kind of feel like SLS has become like the Bruce Springsteen of punk and emo. They've got, you know, lots of vibes from bands I remember growing up listening to, like Sunny Day Real Estate, a little bit of Jawbreaker, a little bit of Saves the Day. And they just are very, very fun. They do have that grouch, grouch rock <laughs> term coined, and uh, they really I, are I, just exhilarating. To I love to. Saves the Day. Yeah, that's uh, they're they're British, right? Uh, I don't know their country of origin, but they're like in a, they're like one of the like the, in the top ten like pop punk fans of all time. Yeah, saves the days up there for uh, sure. Yeah, they they were actually uh, in the early mid two thousands. They were huge. There was a, mm-hmm. a professional skateboarder who loved using their music like exclusively. Fuck yeah, parts. yeah. Saves the day is dope. Yeah. Anyways, thank you. They're actually not British, in case you're curious. I just looked it up. They're from New Jersey. New oh. Jersey. Oh, he's the, the well. The the professional skater was is from UK, but never mind. Anyways, good for him. No, it's no, it's. Cool. Oh, sorry, I was a liar. No, it's cool you say that because UK loves pop punk. That's kind of why you have bands in the UK now, like uh, like Neck Deep and Waster. They're British bands, but they actually fucking are full blown pop punk. His name was Brian Summers. Brian Summers, professional skateboarder. Shout out to shout out to professional skateboarder Brian Summers, who reps. He said, "Saves today, saves today." And then what's what's his board of choice? Uh, he skates for Birdhouse, or he did. Wonder how Tony Hawk's doing. Exactly. <laughs> Coming in at number one, <laughs> Tony Hawk. <laughs> Tony Hawk's Tony Hawk's EP about visiting an Applebee's. <laughs> and then when they check his ID, they're like, "Are right, the famous skateboarder?" And he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> you know you look like Tony Hawk. That's really weird. You guys have the same name and everything. <laughs> Tony Hawk's life on repeat. Poor guy. Have you ever heard of Tony Hawk? <laughs> you guys have the same last name. That's, That's so crazy. crazy. Oh yeah. my fucking goodness. Have you ever been so famous yet nobody knows who you are? Dun, dun, and I love dun. his like tongue in cheek attitude about it too. Like the fact that he always tweets about it. That is the dream. Like I would love to be that famous and totally unrecognizable in my Yeah, have 40s. people tell me about how cool I am, but not like to my face, but not to my face. Like yeah. if somebody came up and they were like, Have you heard of Celine Santa's Pond? I'd be like, nah. And having them just be like, Yeah, they're so fucking cool. That would be the dream. <laughs> yeah, you guys look so similar. Like you guys have the same hair color. It's amazing. Anyways, damn, there you go. You heard it here first. Coming in at number one is my favorite fucking album of the year. This entire body of work is comprised of special songs that none other than Joe Mulheron recorded at his private home in Vermont. One Takes Volume One captures all of his best singles 
And basically he does a format where he just does literally one take for each track. So yes, there is a multi-layer of tracks, but he gives it like one go each time pretty much. So he does one rhythm track all on guitar, one lead track. And then he even can play piano. The piano version of uh, Ornament is fucking brilliant. It makes me want to <laughs> fucking cry at night all of the rest of my life. But then you've got really cool, slowed down mellow renditions of his more harder hitting songs like Hammer mm -hmm. and Clarity and Kerosene. Uh, Joe's music has been so influential to me to the point where I've, I even have like a Nothing Nowhere inspired tattoo on my left bicep. Uh, I have his flag above my bed. Mm. I'm actually waiting for the new merch drop to come in the mail. It should be here any day. Mm. I'm very excited. The song of the year, because I feel like this kind of wraps up 2020. Hashtag low key fuck 2020. It's not other than his song Death. When I first heard the, you know, when he sings the line, look at the apocalypse on the TV. Mankind is a fucked up species. Coming home, hybrid theory on repeat, Lincoln Park in the dark on a CD. I was like, damn, that's a big mood right there. Uh, me and Joe Mulheron are the same age. So I feel like we kind of, I, I, I vicariously kind of like live through his music. And also just, he's just super relatable, has lots of topics I like, everything ranging from, you know, mental health to depression to crippling anxiety to hmm. not wanting to leave your house for days at a time. We've all been there. Uh, this song, I feel like kind of personifies just, it's a big middle finger to 2020. And then the one take version is just beautiful. The video has clips of him and his dog running through the snow. It's just got a big, big violin string section, piano, and it's so just epic and grandiose. And to me personally, it is my favorite song of the year. That's from his album, One Takes, Volume 1, and the song of the year we're going to play for you right now on the March and Mitch show is the Death One Take version off of the One Takes Volume 1 album. And that's from Nothing Nowhere, Vermont artist Joe Mulheron. Thank you guys for joining us for a year of music.
on all y'all and tell you what's up in the world of new music, culture, social justice, current events, and lots of other cool stuff, including all your throwback media from the 90s and 2000s. This has been the March and Mitch Show. Let's go full speed ahead to learn more about what's happening in Portland with our star correspondent, Celine Stanis Pond. Hell yeah, let's do it. I also, really quick before I go into my piece, I want to thank you, Alex. That was an awesome breakdown on the best music of 2020 as heard by Alex Marchewski. I loved a lot of that music and the ones that I didn't know about. I absolutely want to check out. So thank you so much. Totes. Can you imagine a radio show with just pics of him? Be the most popular radio show on the fucking, uh, on the network. I would love to do that. That'd be fun. We (laughs) we kind of do that each week on the show. (laughs) I mean, like if it was just like on public radio or not, like people would just be like, ah, the Marchewski playlist. Welcome to Marchewski 905. My new dream goal is to actually just be an an announcer for the NFL. But instead of talking about the players and what they're doing on screen, just about my favorite music. Anyways, please forgive me, Celine. (laughs) It wouldn't be the NFL. It would be the MFL music league. Music, music football league? Music fanatic league. Okay, okay. There you go. MFL. You just gave me an idea. Uh, I know. So I want to talk this week about what's been dubbed the siege on Mississippi and Skidmore. Or at least that's what it's been dubbed by me when I was writing my piece. But there is actually kind of a, basically a, a siege or a seizure of land in Portland And it's a pretty interesting thing because as much as the radical tactics that we're seeing take place might be considered to be a little bit much, it's been really successful. So I'm excited to talk to you guys about this because it's something that's happening right now. This this taking of land literally just is wrapping up, but there's still more to come. So I want to say, first of all, that most of my information on this comes from a really fun article in Willamette Week that, that was published early this morning. It was published at like 1230 and then was updated throughout the day. But it's uh, an article by Suzette Smith and Justin Yao, and they published it this morning, and it details their entire experience living for the last five days in an encampment that has taken up three blocks of Portland. When you say encampment, we're talking like just like transient individuals or people that are homeless? 
Well, we're talking a deliberate encampment. So what's going on here is that there's a family that's being evicted. And rather than allowing this to happen, activists in Portland have said that they are, are not going to allow this to happen. They're absolutely not interested in seeing a family evicted weeks before Christmas in the middle of a global pandemic. And so what we're seeing are deliberate encampments that are structured such that they prevent the police from enforcing this eviction. Right on. Okay, so this is kind of like like a peaceful protest or like a sit-in almost kind of? Uh, peaceful is debatable in this okay. case. Yeah, no, I feel like we've talked a lot about like peaceful protesters and things, but here's where some lines get crossed and I think the tactics are debatable. I want to learn more. It's interesting. So the like I said, for the last five days, there have been people who've been camped out on a th- a three block spread of North Portland between Mississippi and Skidmore. And the reason being is that they, they are trying to protect what's called uh, the red house, which is a house on Mississippi and it's red. And the people that have lived there are the Kinney family and they are a black and or, so an Afro Afro indigenous is how they self identify an Afro indigenous family. So they're African-American as well as have native ancestry And they have been living in this house for the last three generations since 1955. And so the group that's protecting their house calls themselves the Red House Eviction Defense. And their entire goal is to protect the family from a forcible eviction by the police. And so, like I said, they've owned this house since 1955, which is pretty incredible, particularly considering the fact that black Americans couldn't take out loans back in 1955 in Portland. So they bought this house in cash. They owned this home outright and they bought this home in what was a predominantly black neighborhood when they bought it in 1955 up until the financial collapse of 2008, at which point a lot of developers started to hone in on the neighborhood and tried to gentrify it. Mm -hmm. So some residents, former residents, describe being approached by developers and being offered literal stacks of cash in order to sell their home because the developers knew that they were going to be foreclosed upon. So the developers bought the land, turned it into, you know, high rises, office buildings, things like that, rather than allowing the land to be owned by the historical residents of the neighborhood who happened to be African-American. So classic gentrification story, but on a very aggressive level. And so that's a huge part of the reason that this family has been such a, a focus by activists is the fact that, first of all, a lot of people are dealing with eviction and homelessness right, right now. Gentrification has been a huge issue. And the fact that this family has been able to stand against gentrification since 1955 has been incredible. And this is now the blow that's potentially going to take them out of the neighborhood. So what's going on is that even though they they purchased their home outright in 1955, what happened is that back in 2002, one of the sons of the Kinney family was arrested for a hit and run accident that ended up financially wiping the family out. And so in order to pay for legal fees and things like that, they took out a mortgage on their house. And at that point, once the financial collapse happened six years later in 2008, that mortgage was sold from company to company to company. And so at one point, the Kinneys were getting mortgage statements from nobody. They would go months like they from 2002 to 2008. They paid religiously, like very faithfully every month. They paid their statement. Then in 2008, they started to get months where they had no statement because it had been sold to another collector and not transmitted to them yet. Then they would get like two or three months of back rent charged to them. Then there were months where they would get a statement from two companies in one month for the same amount because it just kept getting punted and punted and punted from company to company to company. 
And so finally they stopped paying because it was confusing. They literally had no way of knowing who they were meant to pay. And so the process of foreclosure began when they were their loan was sold, I believe, to Bank of America in 2018. And then the Kinneys were served with a letter of eviction this December. And so that's when things started to really ramp up is when they got a forcible letter of eviction saying that the police were going to come break into their house, take their shit, kick them out. And so at that point, so since September, people have been kind of gathering in the area and trying to help at least be on the ground to make sure that they were keeping tabs on what the police were doing with the family and if they were breaking in and taking their, their items out to be sold. And so since, since September, people have been there. But since they received this notice of eviction saying that they were going to be forcibly removed, that's when people really showed up. And so that's how we've ended up in this situation where for the last five days, people have been camping out in a three block radius of their home, totally protecting the neighborhood and well, protecting the home. So we have armed protesters. Some of them are armed with things as aggressive as rifles. We've also got people with paint guns. And there's numerous people with broken bottles and other projectiles. So it's definitely a pretty militant case. We're looking at people who aren't saying we're just nonviolently protesting. We're looking at people who are saying, no, we are actively taking up arms to protect this family. And so I think that there's a reasonable argument to be made about law and order and all that jazz. But at the end of the day, these protesters are out here to protect a family from being evicted from their family home since 1955 in a gentrified neighborhood. That's cool that the community is rallying together to do that. I like that. Yeah, no, 100 percent. It's it's really cool. And the Kinneys are a really good example of what's going on. But the area that they live in, in North Portland and Northeast Portland, those are areas that are known still for having really aggressive anti-black housing laws and regulations. Yikes. So there's a lot of segregationist policies, including things like just making the cost of living ridiculous. It makes me angry that shit like this still happens and it's 2020. Right. Especially in Oregon, in a state where we consider to be very liberal, but still has a very active legacy of racial violence. And so what happened is that five days ago, people basically said, we are setting up a perimeter. We are not going to allow the police to come in. And what really kind of encouraged this was the fact that on last Tuesday, the police showed up and they started arresting protesters. They went into the home and were taking items from the home. And so that's when protesters started to get really violent. And what they ended up doing is that they laid down things like spike strips, so like wooden boards with nails stuck through them um, in a you know orderly fashion in order to make it so that cars couldn't approach. And they set up a perimeter where they have those armed guards with paintballs and rifles in order to prevent, first of all, the police from having easy access, but second of all, counter-protesters from being able to come in. Because as soon as the mayor of Portland said that he was not going to allow protesters to continue camping outside this house, saying that it was an autonomous zone and he wouldn't allow it, the family as well as the protesters started, get, started getting death threats. So it turned into a really volatile situation, not helped at all by Mayor Ted Wheeler. And so... What ended up happening is basically a community of people who came together to say, we're not going to allow people to take this home. We think that the family should have a fighting chance, especially given what the, the history that they've been dealing with. And so some of what's going on is really wholesome. Like, you know, there's a community that's come together to protect one single family. And we have community medics who are bringing in heat lamps to make sure that protesters don't get so cold that they leave. 
We have uh, many local restaurants and food trucks that have shown up to offer free food. That's cool. Yeah, no, like a lot of them have signs saying food for whoever wa- who want for whoever wants it, except for cops. <laughs> so basically, like they've made it really clear that they are here to support the cause. And many civilians have stopped by at a local coffee shop, uh, the Albina Press. And they've stopped by at this coffee shop and said, I want to buy a round of coffee for all of these protesters on multiple occasions. So the coffee shop is making bank. Glad for them. But there's a lot of real, genuine community support. Um, You know, now there's also less wholesome elements. Because again, coming back to it, this is not a nonviolent protest. This is a very explicitly violent protest. And it's even gotten to the point where they have been throwing things like bottles at pro at, uh, at journalists. And at one point, one activist took a journalist's cell phone and broke it on the ground. Fuck. So it's definitely like, I personally have big concerns about saying that media can't be there and refusing to allow the media in. But ultimately what they've been doing has ended up being effective. So that's what it kind of comes down to is do the ends justify or do the means justify the end. And in this case, I personally believe that they do because what's ended up happening ever since they have occupied this area is that since the police haven't had easy access to come in and evict them, what's been happening is that the family had the time as well as the visibility needed through, you know, people reporting on this. They had the time and the visibility in order to crowdfund the money in order to purchase their home. So they have now made through crowdfunding over $300,000. This is awesome. Yeah. And it covers the, the cost of their home. Woo. So as of today, the protesters are breaking down the barricades. They're opening the neighborhood back up just the way that it always has been. Specifically because of the fact that we've raised enough money. And so basically where we're at right now is that the family and the protesters have ended up striking a deal with the city. Because the family still has to negotiate, even though they have the money. They've still got to negotiate on what's going to happen as far as adjudicating their case. Word. But ultimately, the police promised they would not forcibly evict the family while they sort out these payments and negotiate with the city if all of the barricades were removed by Monday. So over the course of Monday, people were showing up. Volunteers who hadn't even attended this protest previously were showing up to remove the barricades so that that family could have that ease of mind. So ultimately, as much as I think that a lot of people will probably say, hey, this was a really intense example. This is not how people should be addressing nonviolent conflicts like this. Ultimately, we have to ask why, because it was effective. And we see looking back to examples like during the Great Depression in 1932 Bronx, the way that people avoided eviction was by exactly this tactic. So in my opinion, while it seems like it's going to be a, you know, a pretty aggressive tactic and a lot of people might frown on it, ultimately it ends up being successful. So my personal take is, you know, don't knock if it works. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious what you guys think. Like, do you guys feel like this is a reasonable way to address issues like this? Or do you feel like there's a more efficient way? I completely endorse the activities by like our, our friendly neighbors in Portland and like everything that the community has chosen to do to rally behind this family. It's it's actually like really inspiring. Like I know we talked about on the music piece this week, mankind is a fucked up species. <laughs> but it's really cool that these this these cool people in Portland actually like rally together to like protect this family and like rally for this family. And like I actually like really dig that and I like that like, you know, 
human beings are, you know, maybe not as bad as you always want to play them out to be. Cause I feel like the people in this neighborhood are doing something cool for the community. And not only that, but they're also just protecting the people that need help. And I feel like one thing, you know, we kind of learned from shows like letter Kenny, when our, when our friend asks for help, you help them and whether or not, you know, people want to justify their means or what's appropriate or not appropriate. I think it's really cool that these people stood up for some people who needed the help. And that to me is inspiring. Word up. I, I appreciate that. What are your thoughts, Mitchell? Um, I got, well, well, I, I don't know. It's complicated. I thought that your thoughts on this might be a little bit complex. I <clears throat> respect the complexity of the situation. Uh, number one, would this happen if the pandemic wasn't current and people were unemployed? Don't know. Don't know the people protesting. Um, if these people had less or had more to do with their own individual lives, would they still be protesting? Maybe. Who knows? Uh, the biggest. It's interesting because I just really quickly chiming in. That was actually a major critique in 2008 of the Occupy movements. 2008? Yeah, okay. back in 2008 when the first financial collapse happened. Mm -hmm. The. The first financial collapse. I'm yeah. predicting a million more. <laughs> uh -huh. But uh, yeah, no, the people would criticize the Occupy protesters by saying, well, they're unemployed. So maybe if they had something better to do, they wouldn't be out camping outside of Wall Street. I wouldn't say better. I would just say something that they had to be occupied by. But OK. Sure. I'm yeah. sorry. I put words in your mouth. No, no, no. You're good. Again, I, I don't I don't blame them. I think that's a great. Uh, it's a great way to spend time, especially if you are if you are in that situation. Like I think they did a good thing. I think uh, it points a super big red flag to the the giant evil, which is uh, big corporate banks. Like that's all I hear in the story is that like big giant banks are continually absolute assholes. Community literally has to do military like things in mm -hmm. order to protect small home owned by previous generations like like it's cool that people you know got together and made this thing happen but like what about the other 34 you know houses that got foreclosed on that you know didn't get mm -hmm. this kind of support like i don't know it's just corporate america being corporate america and and i'm glad that this story is getting out there and, and that there's a generational home uh you know three generations but again to me it's like well if the banks weren't so fucking shitty this wouldn't be an issue because like, Hey, it's a pandemic. Like I thought we had like a rent suspension, you know, going on right now, but I guess mm -hmm. not. I guess that's well, not a thing. And I'm actually glad that you mentioned that. Cause I think that is important an important just piece on the facts here. Mm -hmm. There is a rent moratorium going on. That's actually due to come up soon. Like at the end of the year, right? That rent moratorium is done. Everyone's back pay is now due. So we're going to be seeing a lot more situations like this coming right up. Yep. But for this family in particular, they were not protected by the moratorium okay. because of the fact that the foreclosure was uh, was started back in 2018. Before all this. Yeah. So okay. they've been fighting this since way before COVID was, okay. yeah, a blink in anybody's eye. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there you go. But yeah, exactly like what you're saying. It speaks to predatory housing practices. Like yeah. I said. It almost feels intentional at this point. I mean, granted, it sounds like this story, uh, they, they were dealing with this long before, but it almost feels as if, and I'm not throwing conspiracy out there, but, you know, when when tragedy happens on a, on a mass scale, it feels like, you know, the, uh, the, the only people who lose during this are the actual people. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like that's the way the game's been played since the uh, our first crash, the first, what, the 1800s? The first, the first, the plague, the original plague. Oh, in the 1920s? Yeah, the original first black plague and where like the banks foreclosed, oh. like all the blank. Like the, wait, 
the original, the okay. Black Plague. Well, that was like 1350. Oh, okay. The Black Plague and then, and then followed, that was the first problem. And then followed by later on was um, when all the banks closed. And, and Yeah, I think that you're thinking of the Spanish flu. That, that occurred probably, yeah. in the early 1900s. There we go. Yeah, where all the banks and, closed and then they... Well, no, that the... the Sorry, the, I, I hate to be a note all. The Spanish influenza was something that occurred in like around like uh, 1918, I believe. Yeah. Was the height of the Spanish flu. Then we had World War One, which invig- invigorated our economy. And so we had the booming 20s, roaring 20s. Uh-huh. And then at the end of the roaring 20s in 1929. It was the first financial That's class. when we had... The Great Depression. That's what it was. And actually, that ties in interestingly, too, because what I mentioned in the Bronx, that mm-hmm. was occurring in the 1930s after the financial collapse. Mm-hmm. So, like, in the Bronx in 1932, they had a massive, what they called it was, they called it the co-op. Mm-hmm. That was just a massive, basically tent city that was part people that were out of their homes and partly people who were activists dedicated to the cause of keeping other people in their homes. Mm-hmm. And they basically camped out and the police continued evictions, but only after gathering brigades of like 50 police officers on horseback. So they like really slowed the eviction rate and basically they prompted rent control Mm -hmm. in New York city. Like they made lasting change for how rent looks, which was really cool. And now actually in the Bronx with this pandemic, we're seeing people starting to be evicted again and they are carrying that tradition. So there are people in the Bronx who are now using social media to say, hey, there is an unlawful eviction going on on such and such street. Show up, do what you can. Mm-hmm. And so far, there have even been stories of people who see evictions happening and they show up with their friends and rather than, are we out of? No. Okay. And uh, rather than just watching on the sidelines and watching what's going on, people are showing up and literally when the police call in movers to bring furniture out of the house. People are showing up with their buddies and then just bringing the furniture right back into the house. <laughs> <laughs> like just doing all of these little things to make it just fucking difficult to make carrying out foreclosure or eviction like feasible. So there's, you know, this is an ongoing tradition of how to deal with people being forced out of their homes. This is Amer- an American tradition. It's an American pastime. Keep your neighbors in their house. Cue Donald Donald Glover, this is America. Right. This is America. Damn, you know what? I feel like it just it should be a basic human right that we should all that we all deserve food, water, and shelter. Like, why is this gotta be such an issue? God and healthcare. Damn it. And healthcare, yes. Oh, what yeah. if only this problem had been solved, Canada? <laughs> <laughs> how will we ever solve this problem, Canada? <laughs> oh, how will we ever file this under the human right, Italy? This is and like just a factoid, like Utah actually pioneered a program where to solve homelessness, they just gave homeless people homes. Yep, and they saved a bunch of money. Yep, like it turns out that it costs a lot more to police and criminalize Mm -hmm. those without houses than it does to just let them have a house. Yeah, 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 yep. So we know all the facts. We know what we can do. There's so many answers out there. We just choose not to. We need the banks and the police to not have as much power, yeah. I think is what it comes down to. Big fact of that. Big fan of that. All right. Yeah. Well, this is probably that was my feel good piece. The most depressing piece we've ever experienced because it's real. It's real. 
Sad because it's true. Sad because it's true. Sad but true. I'll say, Q Metallica. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks, James <laughs> Hatfield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Sad but true. Give me a fool. Give me a fire. Give me a job. A job. We don't talk oh. about that album. We don't. We don't talk about. We don't that. talk about that album. I'm sorry, Mitchell. It's okay. Well, um, that's about an we hour. Take a beer break. No, I think that's about all the time we have. I mean, I, I was considering covering Eight Crazy Nights, but I think I'll just do that next week. Um, you don't want to talk about Eight Crazy Nights? Nah, I mean, but they were so crazy. They were crazy, but I just oh don't feel like it fits the tone. Doesn't fit the tone. <laughs> Stars align. Can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I did bring it down a little bit. I hear where you're coming from. It's okay. Well, that was me last week. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, we'll cover eight crazy nights next week. Um, got plenty of time. Got, like, got let's, last month of the year. This is a great episode. You guys could literally do the show on your own. I'm curious and starting to wonder if I even need to be here other than to uh, press play. So, you know, maybe maybe changes are coming. Winter bom, is bom, win, bom. winter is coming. I wanted to hear about Adam Sandler's Eight Crazy Nights because I love Hanukkah and I love basketball. I think I love Hanukkah now, thanks to the movie. Eight Crazy Nights is is a is a is a great spinoff of The Grinch. Uh, long story short, Adam Sandler stars as himself as a drunkard uh, in a small town, literally a small town. He is picked up by a um, deformed short person. <laughs> It's the Grinch, but with Jews. It's but it's the Grinch, but with Jews. Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah, uh, he's 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 sad for a good reason. Unlike the original Grinch, who's just grumpy for no reason. Uh, Adam Sandler actually loses his parents in the movie. It's pretty fucked up. Uh, they they die on Hanukkah during a basketball game. That's the motive. Then he becomes a crazy fucking asshole throughout the entire movie. Really fun. Really interesting. There's a there's a lot. To, to digest there's like a lot of like hijinks there's a lot of like mature content like the oh, el- yeah. like the l like the 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 uh there's a there's a flurry of deer that end up like licking like he he freezes the short guy who's like you know trying to help him <laughs> become a better person like when he he tosses him in a porter potty down a hill and then is covered in in human feces and, and then d- proceeds to rinse him off in freezing cold weather with a hose and then turns him into a poopsicle and leaves him there to die. And then all the deers got poop mouth. And, no, and then the deer. Yeah, yeah the, that was yeah. my least favorite part. Was the deers with the. Poop there is mouth. some seriously egregious, gross content. Like there's several parts in the movie where like I just turn away because it is so grotesque and, and just like bleh. that being the first scene. Uh, Adam Sandler then eventually realizes that you know he does have something to live for, and you know he's got these uh, reasons to. And it's to, a pretty girl, just it's like a, every single. It's Adam a pretty Sandler girl and her seen. single bastard son, <laughs> and uh, we can all relate to that because fuck dads. <laughs> you, ah. heard, you heard it here first. Fuck dads. Fuck dads. No, movie's really good. <laughs> well, if you say so. <laughs> I want a divorce. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a good movie. It's honestly, I I I was gonna talk about the how the Grinch sold Christmas. I watched it. It's a really bad movie. It just in overall, it's like the people in the Grinch are shitty, 
And then like the Grinch is also shitty, but like he was born shitty. And these other and the Who's a Whoville are just inherently shitty. Like they don't have a reason to be. They're just consumeristic, narcissistic fuck toys. And then seriously, yeah. And then poor Grinch gets put into this like culture of shit. And then he becomes a bad guy and like you know hawks it up to the mountain. Um, fun, real quick. I just want to talk about the key party scene that exists. <laughs> Alex, you know what a key party is? A key party. A fucking key party. Is that where like when people hate me and then they show up to key my car? <laughs> I'm I'm I am the literal bottom of the degent barrel. Oh my god. I'm I've I've asked this question. Yeah, to like, I did not know what this was. I've asked this to like several different people and apparently I'm the only one who knows what a key party is. Uh, a key party is when a bunch of swingers show up to a party, throw their keys in a bowl, and the and then when they're leaving, they pick a key and that's the person they go home with. So when the Grinch is floats, floats on down from the magical. Yeah, when the Grinch floats down from the magical wherever the fuck he is, uh, he lands in a tree, and there's this scene with this bowl, and they're all having their Whoville party inside the house, and everyone's throwing their fucking keys in this goddamn bowl. Ah! The Whos are having a key party. What? While the Grinch is out there in the freezing cold during uh, fucking winter. So the movie's terrible. I really wasn't a fan of it. Jim Carrey did his best. Like, it was a good character. Movie sucks. So just terrible people featuring terrible things, uh, featuring more terrible The Grinch. And so Eight Crazy Nights is a much better, much more wholesome uh, family Hanukkah. And it includes Christmas and Hanukkah. You know, I think Adam Sandler is a, is a big uh, advocate for the Jewish community. And uh, also probably, like, uh, ejected from the, the traditional Jewish community. I mean, like, you've seen Adam Sandler. There's no way that the Jewish community was like, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Keep, keep, keep making fart jokes. Like, I'm sure they love that. So uh, Rab The rabbi, no. Yeah. The rabbi, no. Why, why are you hanging out with Rob Schneider? You need to knock that shit off. You two need to go to whatever. Um, so, yeah, Eight Crazy Nights is super fun. It's super interesting. It's super grotesque in a, in a, in a 14-year-old, like, hilarious way but the cartoon style is so cute and wholesome yeah, i love the too. animation style the animation's great yeah don't quote me but it looks like the same like kind of art style that you see with like the iron giant sure yeah, there yeah. were a lot of those yeah. like early 2000s late 90s movies mm -hmm. where like they all kind of have the same animator do it yeah i like the style though a lot yeah eight crazy nice is is a total spinoff uh including hanukkah and it, it honestly it, there's better motivation to the original character like you know he becomes the grinch uh essentially because, you know, on, on Hanukkah, you know, his parents died. Like, there's real motivation, whereas... And, and, and the Dr. Seuss original is super interesting, too, because the Dr. Seuss original is just like, the Grinch is the Grinch because he's the Grinch. And I think that's perfect. I think what they did with the Hollywood Jim Carrey remake is kind of trash. Like, they gave him motivation because the Who's were consumeristic assholes, and that took away from, like, the original. Like, the Grinch was the Grinch because he's the Grinch. That's why it's called the Grinch. He's like Dirty Harry. Like, you don't even know his backstory. Yeah, yeah, he's just dirty. Yeah, yeah. The, the Grinch is different. He's mean, and 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 then when he comes around at the end of the the original, you know, the Doctor Seuss book, it's like, oh, his heart grew because the kindness of Who Bill, you know, turned him from his evil ways. Whereas in the movie, The Grinch with Jim Carrey, they like gave him a motivation to be evil, which is fucking stupid because that's the Grinch. He doesn't need a motivation. Like that's the story plot. And so Adam Sandler had, did, did a really good job with Eight Crazy Nights back in two thousand uh, or two thousand two where they gave a motivation to be the Grinch, but it was also like an authentic motivation 
to to be such a fucking shithead character and then they they do the same storyline where they bring him back and they then he's a good person before he gets sentenced to 10 years for jail so i like the parallels between these two movies but also i like it because how many like hanukkah movies can you name off the top of your head that like the backdrop is hanukkah yeah. like, we have all, we have so many like Seriously, i've, I've yeah. seen so many posts on facebook and instagram of like look at all these generic rehashed like christmas movies like we have like a bad mom's christmas a, yeah. a suburban dad's christmas yeah. a slutty mom's christmas <laughs> volume two featuring nikki benz right right you, uh, yes but essentially we don't you don't see so many hanukkah movies but no. i like i like seeing these you know like i grew up like my best friend growing up actually was jewish like we I got to hang out with them for Hanukkah and I got to like be around all this stuff. Like who wouldn't want to get presents for eight days? Like that right. fucking shreds, bro. Yeah. Yeah. So it's again, Adam Sandler being a bit ad, a big advocate for the Jewish community. He always is. He always has been a lot of his co-stars in the movie. Like he's got his entire original cast. <laughs> he's got John Stewart. He's got, um, uh, fuck dude, his entire crew. Uh, I can't even, I can't even remember their names right now, but yeah, the entire, like who was John Stewart in? Was he the cop? No, he was the mayor. The mayor. Ah! John Stewart was the mayor. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. What? I, uh, you know, it's either John Stewart or there's one other character who was in uh, Grandma's Boy, um, and they look similar. So I cannot confirm. You know, it's probably not John Stewart. I probably fucked up. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a standard Adam Sandler cast, um, and and they all voice act. They've got you know minimal to to media. I mean, so fun fact: Adam Sandler voices, uh, at, you know. Uh, Mr. Stone, the main character, uh, the uh, Mr. Whitey, the the Whitey. His, Mr. Whitey's sister, <laughs> Eleanor, and the deer. That's a technical fact. Uh, yeah, uh, and the deer. <laughs> he does all the voices for all those parts. Adam Sandler Although, does. Do the deer end up having voices, or do they just have like? Mer. Well, yeah, but he voiced that. That's adorable. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to clarify. Is that really weird scene where they're all laughing really hard and they just start shitting uncontrollably? <laughs> yep. <laughs> No. Yup. Yeah. Yup. <laughs> it's that. That's the kind of movie that you're getting into again. I, this is not a kid movie. I watched it probably when I was like 15 or 16. But no, the movie's super funny. It's just like super inappropriate for so many reasons. Like the kid. I appreciate having a totally irreverent Christmas movie though. Yeah, yeah. It's it's better than holiday most. movie. Yeah, uh, it's I not would, a Christmas movie. Anything per se. made before 2000s is probably could could combat it. You know, with like wholesome kindness, like you know the original A Christmas Carol. You know, with the Red Rider rocket and the little cute boy. Like that movie's a classic, and we could could definitely cover that. But like as far as nostalgia trips goes, like I remember renting Eight Crazy Nights from Hollywood Video or Blockbuster or wherever, and, and picking that up and and then just being like appalled as a you know as a young. Uh, preteen or teenager would be at this movie and be like, this movie is amazing. <laughs> I love dick and fart jokes all the way. That was the trend at the time because I remember like like Bad Santa came out around the same yeah. time with like Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, it's like the it's a kid's version of Bad Santa for sure. You know, the 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 poop sickle joke, the, the deer shitting uncontrollably. There's like a random It's couple. definitely still not kid's version. No, no, no. But like, you know, that that's I was just ha- thinking of the scene where he's clarifying what he's allowed to do when he goes and stays at Heidi's and uh, and Eleanor's house and uh, trying to figure out what's going to be a a technical foul. He walks around with his morning erection. Right, exactly. He's like, can I walk around with my morning erection? That's a technical foul, but Eleanor would like to see it anyway. No, I wouldn't. And then she waggles her eyebrows. <laughs> it's wild. Dick. Anyways, yeah. Eight There's a lot going nights. on. Eight Crazy Nights. Go check it out if you like it. Uh, thanks for joining the show. It's Happy been Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. This is season two, uh, our finale of the year. It's December. We'll catch you on the next episode. Everybody, thank you. God bless. 
Have a happy holiday. We'll see you next week. Happy holidays from the March and Mitch show featuring Celine Stannis Pond. Starring. Starring. Starring me. There you go. All right. Good night. Good night.